Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, April 13th, uh, another Thursday, I think uh, the second Thursday of, of the year, or of the month, rather. Uh, week following, of course, uh, the Masters. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight on Coach's Corner. Um, but a great show tonight. We've got uh, three guys, two of them on board already, just waiting for the third one to, uh, to join me here on the Coach's Corner panel. John Hughes, Peter Agazarian, and Paul Castor. Uh, going to be on the panel tonight, and then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my good friend and fellow uh, golf professional, of course, Byron Casper, son of the legendary Billy Casper. He's going to be joining me on the second half of the show, and we're going to have a nice little little chat and talk about some things. Of course, he's got uh, an upcoming tournament here in about a month's time. That is uh, Dad Head, of course, uh, Billy's tournament out in, uh, I think, in the San Diego, California area, uh, which uh, helps support uh, Billy's kids, which was his... Uh, a charitable uh, foundation that he started many, many years ago and has been uh, doing some great things for a lot of the, the young kids uh, all across the uh, United States. So Byron will be joining me in the second half, um, but I'm glad you were able to join me tonight uh, here on Golf Talk Live. As always, we are live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, quickest way to find us, go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live or just uh, forward slash Golf Talk Live after uh, the initial blogtalkradio.com uh, URL, and that will take you there as well. And if for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry. You can just scroll down uh, on that link, and uh, you'll see the on-demand section. And, of course, all of the shows, uh, even though they are uh, live on Thursday evenings, they are auto-recorded during the broadcast, and you can listen to them when it's convenient for you, uh, uh, whatever time that may be. So just go to the uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive, and you can listen to the uh, recorded version, uh, as I said, when it's convenient for you. Uh, also, you can also go to uh, iTunes. If you're somebody that uh, frequents iTunes, go to iTunes.com and just type in uh, Golf Talk Live in the podcast section. Uh, it's available there as a podcast. You can listen to that as well uh, anytime uh, after the show. And also uh, on Stitcher.com. You can also go to Stitcher.com and again, uh, type in Golf Talk Live and that will take you to the page and you can listen to uh, all of the previously aired shows. Love to hear from you uh, anytime during the, the broadcast. Uh, you can call in by uh, phoning area code 646-716-4667. Again, that's 646-716-4667. Or you can reach out to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And for those of you in the uh, golf profession, whether you're a coach, a teach professional, uh, or maybe uh, somebody that uh, deals with the mental side or the um, uh, physical fitness side of, of golf, uh, or maybe you've written a great book that you'd like to share with my audience, would love to have you. You can reach me there at, as well at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and I'll see about getting you into the schedule 
uh, we're getting pretty filled up for the year, so uh, now's the time to uh, to reach out. Always so, uh, update on social media. Go to Facebook.com, and you can uh, go to the uh, uh, Golf Talk Live blog page there and see all of the updates as far as who's going to be uh, coming on the show, including the panels here on, on Coach's Corner, uh, and my special guest of the evening is always uh, there, and also on my personal page as well, uh, Ted Odorico. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, and thank you for all of the recent followers here on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, CEO, of course, in capitals. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got a great panel here uh, tonight. Uh, two of the guys are here right now. We're just waiting for the third one, but I'll bring them on board here in just a, uh, a second. Uh, but let me do the introductions. Uh, uh, Peter Egazarian, of course, he's a Class A PGA member and teacher professional uh, out at the uh, Taconic Golf Club in Williamstown. And, of course, Paul Castor is also here with me tonight, and he's a golf coach and the director of instruction at the Forest Gate uh, Country Club. And hopefully John Hughes, uh, PGA Master Professional, Vice President of the North Florida PGA Section, and the uh, recipient of the 2013 PGA of America uh, Horton Smith Award, uh, will be joining us as well here in a little bit. Um, so um, in the meantime, uh, Peter and, and Paul, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks so much, Great Ted. Me. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, not a Great problem, to be here, Ted. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. As always, I appreciate you giving of your time, and and uh, I know it's not always easy. Sometimes uh, trying to get home quick uh, from the golf course, and uh, and other uh, you know other things going on. So I, I appreciate you guys giving of your time. It's it's a lot to ask, and and you guys have done it uh, so well over the the last few years. So I appreciate it again very much, um, guys. Just a couple things uh, I want to uh, touch on tonight. First off, let's let's talk about as I mentioned in the opening. Um, this last weekend, of course, was Masters weekend, very, uh, very exciting tournament. Uh, I want to get just uh, a little bit of uh, feedback, if I can, from both of you on what you thought of the event this year and obviously about young Sergio uh, coming away with his first, not only his first uh, major, but his first green jacket. Um, your thoughts, uh, Paul, I'm going to go with you first. I just thought it was, a, it was a, so much fun to watch. I actually got to watch a fair amount of it. Uh, especially on Sunday this year. Um, watched a lot of the replays earlier in the week. And um, I was just really happy to see Sergio win. Uh, I think he's, you know, it, it's been a long time coming for him. I think all of us probably anticipated him winning uh, a few more majors maybe by this point in his career. Um, but to see him kind of maintain his composure in a way that he hadn't uh, – really done in the past uh, in the clutch coming down the stretch in a major. And, um, and to, I think, you know, the fact that he won the masters, which he said himself was a tournament that, that he really loved and he wanted to win more than any other major and to see him win it on Seve's birthday, his 60th, what would have been his 60th yeah. birthday was, you know, um, pretty, you know, pretty hard to, to write a script a whole lot better than that. I think for him, um, so it was just, it was a great week to watch golf. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and Peter, you know, what was, what was equally interesting and, and Paul just pointed this out, of course, it was, um, uh, Seve, it would have been Seve's 60th birthday and obviously, mm-hmm. um, Sergio being the third Spaniard to win, uh, at Augusta now, uh, of course, uh, Seve being one and, and, uh, Jose Maria, uh, Olathebel, uh, being the other. So this is the third Spaniard, which is, which is huge for them. Um, mm-hmm. but also, uh, he's one of the second players that had a mentor, um, who had passed the other one being, uh, Ben Crenshaw, of course, uh, his uh, mentor, uh, Harvey Pennick, 
who had passed away. And of course, he went on to win the Masters that particular year as well. In fact, he flew back and forth from the funeral, as I recall, mm-hmm. um, Harvey Penick's funeral. So very emotional, I'm sure, for Sergio. Um, share your thoughts. Uh, what did you think about the tournament itself and, and, and uh, about Sergio uh, uh, coming through in the, in the, uh, the end? Yeah, just a, it's an, a very well done event from the very beginning, just kicking off the week with drive, chip, and putt, um, all the way through Sunday, finishing the event with a green jacket presentation. To say that the the members in the tournament committee at Augusta National get it would be a, gets it would be an understatement. Um, <clears throat> just the the entire thing is obviously first class and. Um, I'm a very huge fan, as I'm sure Paul is, of the drive, chip, and putt. I think it's just a, a a huge thing for junior golfers, or one of the things junior golfers can aspire to, uh, you know, and set as a goal. But um, Sergio winning, I think, is uh, just fantastic. Um, I agree with what you were saying with Seve being present. Um, mm-hmm. He had a lot of su- support from Jose Maria leading up to it um but it was hard as you know a, a not only a golf professional but a longtime fan of golf not and knowing what's you know is Seve's birthday in the in the past history to to really you know feel emotional for um for everybody involved in the entire situation while he's coming up 18 and after he makes the putt, it's, it's, it was just a great scene and just a a great ending to an event. Very happy for him. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, what, yeah, I'll tell you what really surprised me. And and there are a couple other things I want to talk about the masters. And then then we're going to get into our discussion tonight. Um, which, uh, really actually kind of play in a little bit to, to what we're talking about. But, um, I was really surprised uh, you know, of course, when he was in the uh, when you know in Butler Cabin when he was getting ready to receive his uh, his green jacket, um, which is you know of course part of the ceremony. I was impressed at how well composed he was. Um, you know, I would have thought that the emotions would have gotten better. I mean, this is something that, as you both mentioned, and uh, you know, Sergio has has waited a long, long time. Uh, you know, to put that green jacket on and, and really to, to win any major, but to, particularly the Masters being so important to him, I was really surprised and impressed at how well he kept it together. I thought for sure, you know, the, the, and I'm sure it did it, you know, a little bit later on, but I thought for sure the emotions would have come sort of gushing out. But I guess, you know, when you're, uh, you know, in that, in that circumstance, you're, you're able to sort of hold it back. But I was, I was very equally impressed. Um, I want to get your thoughts, too. Uh, uh, guys, on, on something else here, uh, Dustin Johnson uh, uh, regrettably had to literally uh, on the uh, morning of, of the first round had to withdraw uh, due to a, a personal injury that he incurred the night before. Um, how tough, and Peter, I'm going to let you go first this time, and then Paul, uh, how tough mm-hmm. do you think was that for him to have to withdraw from a tournament that he himself has won? Um you know, coming in here as the as the basically defending champion, and and to have something as simple as slipping down, you know, a step or two, and and incurring an injury that had to be tough uh, on him uh, emotionally and 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 mentally as as well as the physical, uh, you know, uh, issues. But um, how hard as a player do you think was that for him to have to be able to withdraw? 
I mean, you can tell how difficult it was even leading up to him being on the first tee. You know, he was really wanting to stick it out seemingly by, you know, warming up, finding out what he can do on a, on a physio end during the round and then getting to the first tee and just, I think making a really difficult, but good decision to, you know, risk any further injury a or b you know putting any kind of the integrity of the round or the tournament in jeopardy by slowing down play so i think he made a you know a a difficult but responsible decision that you know is is really unfortunate that he had to make i mean we talked to other you know some players of mine or other golfers around you or golf professionals somebody at some everybody at some points been wearing socks or going down some hardwood stairs, yeah. you know, sta- you know, hardwood right. floor stairs and slept and or slipped and fell on their butt or and I think he's yep. really fortunate that a tweak back was the only thing that happened because he's a he's a, a big man and um I think he's a little lucky. It's unfortunate when it happened, but I think he got a little lucky with that as well. Yeah, uh, well said Peter. And and Paul, yeah, I agree with with exactly what Peter said. He is very lucky. I mean, there could have been uh, you know, he could have hit his tailbone. He could have uh, broken a leg. A lot of things that could have kept him out potentially for several months, let alone uh, you know maybe a week or two. And and you know, I don't know whether he's going to be in in this week's event or not, um, or how long. But by the sounds of things, um, they were icing it down pretty good. It just was not uh, going to be uh, in good enough shape to to contend in the Masters. So obviously, you know, it was his interest to uh, and best interest to withdraw. But but obviously, you know, it, as Peter said, it could have been a lot worse. Um, your your thoughts on that as well, uh, Paul? Oh, I just agree with everything Peter said. Uh, Peter's a smart guy. I know I know him a little <laughs> bit, so it's hard not to agree <laughs> with a lot of what he says and does. But I think um, you know, just as well as as well as Dustin has been playing, you know, for him for him under those circumstances to have to walk away had to have been tremendously difficult, um, and you know, to have won the U.S. Open last year, he's really breaking out. You know, like I think anyone who's observed him and what's happened with him, you know, all the way look back at whistling straights and tournaments, you know, he's played so well and he's gotten to the point now where he could easily, you know, he could be a dominant player in a very, Mm -hmm. very talented PGA Tour, um, you know, uh, field from week to week. And for him to walk away under those circumstances – probably took a lot of self-control. I, I mean, it, like, like Peter said, I mean, to protect the integrity of the, of the field, the round himself, you know, no good golfer wants to go out and play really badly because they're hurt. Um, no. And it's, you know, very hard mm-hmm. to be committed to, to golf shots. If you're, if you're wondering whether or not, you know, you're going to hurt yourself worse during a swing or, um, so I think it just had to be really hard for him to – he came off a – I think it was a fourth-place finish the, the year before at the Masters. Um, and, you know, he's won the – I think two out of the last three events. Or I mean, it's very recently won, won several events and to have yeah. won the U.S. Open last year. Um, so had to have been very tough for him. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, let me just very quickly uh, interrupt for a second, guys, and I see that John is uh, ready to come on board. Uh, fortunately, he's going to be able to join us tonight. So let me just bring John Hughes in. I've already uh, done his introduction, so um, we'll, we'll bring him in and, and get him into the conversation as well. 
Good evening, John, and welcome, my friend. Good evening, everybody. Apologize to the audience, Pete, Ted, and Paul. Uh, Duty calls when the clients need a little (laughs) extra help. We can't let them bleed before they go home. No, Uh, and and I totally understand. Let me just... um, uh, Again, say that I, how much I appreciate you guys giving of your time, and and obviously I know the lesson T comes first always. Um, not to worry, John. We were just sort of uh, killing a few moments before we get into the conversation. Let me just ask you um, one question. I'm going to give you an opportunity since we were talking about, of course, the, the Masters, um, and I'm going to give you just a, a moment or two to talk about um, Sergio's win. Your thoughts on that, uh, and then the other question I talked about, obviously, uh, or thing I asked was about Dustin Johnson, of course, having to withdraw from the Masters. Um, but I want to do it a little bit differently with you, John. Uh, again, a moment or two about uh, Sergio's win, your thoughts on that. Uh, but as far as Dustin Johnson's concern, obviously it was unfortunate that he had to withdraw from the tournament, uh, but probably smart. If you were his coach uh, and or his caddy, um, what would you advise him um, in, in, a situa- in this scenario? Um, obviously you know what, what happened to him. It was all over the news. Um, but let's say you were concerned that there could be um, maybe bigger injuries, yet he wanted to play. If you didn't think it was the best thing, would you advise him not to, to, to play and withdraw? Or, or what would you do? What would your take on that? Uh, first talk about Sergio real quick, and then uh, your thoughts on, on uh, J- uh, Dustin Johnson. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to twist it and do Dustin first because Sergio, okay. as the winner, owes his, we owe him his due. Uh, anytime you got an athlete that's injury prone and or prone to, I'm going to, I'm going to call it this, uh, just not paying attention to simple things, uh, which Dustin is known to have been done in the past. I'm not implicating anything that way. Just people are of the nature that they are coach, caddy, spouse, agent, whoever it is, you owe it to the person to let them know and to sort of help him stay in line. And I use that very broadly. I don't mean that from a disciplinarian standpoint of view. Sure. A lot of these guys just don't understand. Uh, They're still fearless. They're, they're still invincible. They're still living as teenagers kind of thing. And what they don't realize sometimes is there's other people that are relying on them beyond just their skill capability. It's their earning potential. So from a very selfish point of view, these people should be telling them, but from a, hey, let's prolong your career, let's make sure uh, you're doing the right things by yourself and by your body, that is coach, that is caddy, that is agent specifically. Uh, from the standpoint of view, if you're not looking out for your, for your client that way, then maybe the client should be looking for someone else to caddy, coach, and manage them is the way I look at it. So, yeah, the, the, we're – pulling out withdrawing long-term for his career, the absolute right thing to do uh, by third, by Friday morning, we had totally forgotten about him. So from a short-term standpoint, there was no damage. There was no Nick. Hopefully his back recovers. He's able to play the rest of the year. He's absolutely becoming exciting. And one of the things mm-hmm. he's bringing to the fore that we haven't seen since tiger is that little bit of intimidation factor when he's in a tournament these other guys are sort of looking over their shoulder at him. So nothing wrong right. with that. Nothing wrong with stirring the pot. Yeah, well said. Um, yep. Sergio, just a, a bright hope of perseverance is the best way to say it. And it should be a lesson to anyone listening, the coaches here on the panel and future panels. 
it is all about persistency. And, and if golf has a way of pulling that out of you, life does too. We've spoken about it, Ted, many times before that golf's mm-hmm. a microcosm of life. I think what you yep. saw in Sergio is the persistence. It'll be very entertaining and very interesting to see if he can parlay this and grab some motivate, not just some mojo, just some momentum going forward through the latter part of his career like a Marco Mera did, uh, like mm-hmm. several other people winning majors late in their career. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, the jury's out, but I think once he's overcome that hump and take the monkey off his back, I, I'm, I think you'll see a lot more from him. Yeah, well said. Um, one final thought that I'm going to uh, inject here, and, and this is just a, a prediction, if you will. Um, I think you're going to see a very similar, it may not be exact, but very similar scenario to Phil Mickelson, uh, who um, I know you didn't mention, John, but was probably one of the ones you were thinking of. Uh, Phil, you know, same thing, had that monkey on his back for many, many years. A lot of people were questioning, this, you know, especially with the, with the ability that uh, Phil has had, with, um, again, with the, with the short game particularly, um, was very surprised. And when he broke through that first uh, major, of course, being a Masters as well, kind of opened up the floodgates to, to other uh, major champions, including uh, more Masters and so forth. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. My prediction is I think you're going to see something very similar now that that first one is under his belt by Sergio Garcia. And we'll, we'll see what the future holds, but uh, I agree. I think his confidence is really uh, is going to take off now with that, uh, with that. And that brings us really to tonight's discussion, guys. We're going to talk about confidence. Um, being, uh, again, for some, uh, particularly up in the Northeast, obviously for us, uh, that are fortunate down here in Florida and other parts of the Southeast. Um, we get to golf all year round, but some of those that are thawing out, uh, um, not that it was really that cold this year, but um, getting their golf clubs dusted off. One of the things, you know, in addition to getting their physical part of their game and, and their physical fitness and other things in, in shape uh, is sort of regaining that confidence. And Paul, I'm going to go to you first, then Peter, and then, and then John, I'm going to let you uh, on this particular uh, question. Um, one of the things that I think sort of makes and breaks people is some of the, the players out there are very proactive um, and some are reactive. And let me just give you a, an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, obviously, somebody that's more proactive um, are, is going to take sort of res- their own responsibility for their, for their own confidence. And this is something, too, um, that a lot of better players do is they, they – look over the you know over their careers and over their um journey in the golf course if you will and they use a lot of the positive reinforcements that they've gained in their experiences and and tend to be proactive uh in their attitudes other people that are reactive tend to wait until um maybe they've hit a bad stretch of of holes and and sort of react and they've lost that confidence so they're more a reactive type personality so what i want to ask you uh, paul is this Taking those two scenarios, uh, a reactive, uh, or sorry, a proactive player and a reactive uh, player, um, what are you going to do? What steps are you going to take to help build that player? So we're going to talk about maybe a little bit better player, of course, in this particular uh, segment um, than, than some of our higher handicappers. So let's take even, even a, a collegiate player who's uh, you know, played some, some rounds of golf and, and has been a pretty good player. Um, and is very proactive. Talk about the proactive side of it and then the reactive side, and then each of you will do the same. Uh, Paul? Yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, for better players, I think we've learned to be selective with our memory. 
Um, and, and good players know, know not to focus on bad shots. Um, and so I think in, in that sense, uh, that's what, I think that's what you're talking about when, when we're talking yes. about proactive, you know, people and players, um, we kind of good, good golfers understand that the game isn't about consistency, uh, necessarily, and that there's a lot of variability and that you're going to hit some bad shots. And that if you just can't focus on them and that you have to draw from those strengths that you've, you know, good experiences, good rounds, good shots that you've hit in the past, um, so, you know, I think uh, trying to emphasize that we're really talking about mental coaching um, and and incorporating that into teaching, um, you know, the full swing or, or, you know, coaching on the range is difficult. So you, you really have to spend time uh, with players out on the golf course, um, focusing on, you know, how to, how to play shots to – uh, you know, aggressive, aggressive shots to conservative targets, talking about um, making sure that, you know, we're, we're not taking unnecessary risks um, and that we're focusing on visual, visualization, seeing, you know, shots that we've hit in the past, um, maybe on holes just like it or on the same hole, things like that. It's really tough to, to do that kind of teaching on the range. Um, so I think in terms of emphasizing proactivity you're really trying to get the person to stay in the present uh you know visualize see a good golf shot and then execute it um and and do that preferably you know out on the golf course uh where things kind of matter a little bit more than than the driving range um right is that now what about yeah what that's exactly what i was looking for what about a reactive player now you, you've got players out there that maybe they've they've again put together you know two or three holes uh in a tournament and it's shaken their confidence a little bit so they, they've kind of been reactive uh in a scenario like that what do you do um specifically you know obviously you want them to draw on positive experiences but you know even the best athletes sometimes if they've had uh, a string of bad holes or even a few bad rounds um let those those negative thoughts creep in. So what about a reactive player? How do we help them um, sort of regain some of that confidence? What can we do? Well, I, I actually uh, use something called focus band that's been around now for a couple of years um, to help players create really good pre-shot routines and uh, routines that help them kind of push out auto, automatic negative thinking. Uh, we all have mm-hmm. that, um, you know, so – to some degree, I think a more confident player with a longer history of playing well will have less of that. Um, a newer player, player who may not be as experienced in tournaments, a uh, younger player sometimes um, will tend to kind of have a little bit more doubt. Um, and breathing is such a key component to feeling uh, calm and having a quiet, you know, quiet mind standing over a golf ball. Um, so, you know, working with, uh, breathing, incorporating deep breathing into a pre-shot routine, um, pushing out any automatic negative thoughts that happen to pop into your head. Uh, the focus band is great because it gives you audio feedback of kind of where you are in the spectrum of kind of negative thinking and mm-hmm. left brain thinking versus right mm-hmm. brain thinking. Um, so that it can be very helpful. Uh, that way. But I think breathing honestly is uh, very much overlooked. Most people, uh, 
tend to stop breathing as soon as they get uh, nervous or anxious or upset. Right. And it just, you know, creates a cascading effect. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, Peter, about you, let's, you know, let's use Sergio, obviously, as an example of a proactive um, player. You know, obviously, uh, he came into this tournament with, with a lot of confidence. Um, he's been playing well. He's been striking the ball well. Um, you know, let's use him maybe as an example uh, of a proactive player. And then maybe you, you've got an example that you could give uh, and maybe share some additional comments to, to what Paul just said uh, with, with a, a reactive player. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, and then and I'll move on to John. Well, Ted, I think you can actually classify Sergio as a little bit of a reactive player because of the amount of emotion he's been playing with in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he any any kind of player that you're going to have that's either confident or reactive, you're going to look at their mindset first, just to, in a very large sense, and a lot of times their past experiences or their personalities shape their mindset very greatly. But, you know, you're, you're a proactive player like any professional or mainly are usually your high ranking amateur players that are going to play really well uh, are very proactive and answer all of this anxiety of performance and expectations of results with process. You know, they, they really have determined with their coaches and, you know, I spend a lot of my time with my competitive players of determining what their A, B, and C of their golf game is so that they can focus on just hitting those three factors each time and then regulating as necessary. Um, I love the fact you're talking about confidence today. It's it's really yep. the one of my key factors that I, that I coach towards. It's, you know, for me, all it is is context and confidence. And I feel as though if if a player either proactive or reactive have um, those two things present, you know, while we're working, they're going to be going in a very good direction, no matter what their playing level is. Um, So for the proactive player, you definitely look at, you know, understanding their mindset, helping Mm -hmm. them discover their version of uh, process uh, so that they could stay in that and have an answer for how they're going to perform. Um, the reactive player is definitely something that, again, you need to go to their personality, their, you know, their their expectations, and then provide them and discuss, you know, talk through the point of self-awareness. Um, helping a reactive player be self-aware of what, how they react to certain situations, is mm-hmm. very very crucial in helping them make that reaction constructive. Um, you know, I'm, I, this is where Lynn, Lynn and Pia from Vision 54 have, you know, been instrumental in helping so many reactive players be, have that self-awareness and and know how they're going to react when a certain emotion and certain certain kind of stimulus hits them, and how they're going to counteract that and bring themselves back to a, a positive place is 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 a huge thing for a, a reactive player, and you know with you know, you're referencing Sergio. You could say that the reason why he's playing so well recently is that he's become self-aware enough where he knows he can be a proactive player instead of being emotionally reactive. It's, yeah. um, you know, it, it really, again, like I said in the beginning, goes back to their uh, mindset and their personality. And I know as a coach, uh, you, you know, you get to know your player 
Um, I know Paul does a lot of work indoors, and and so do I in the in the winter. And a, a lot of times mm-hmm. we spend uh, plenty of time with our players and and get to know them and really get to know uh, you know them personally and also about their golf game. And we get a good sense of how we can help them go into this season and beyond um, with just more confidence in general about um, going on the golf course or or performing to their own expectations. Yeah, well, well said. And, and you know, you're right. Uh, you know, when when you think about it in in a little bit more detail, you're right about Sergio. I mean, he could really go either way, um, because obviously, you know, coming into this tournament, I, I'm sure he had a lot of confidence. But I'm sure there were a few demons in in the back of his mind that were saying, you know, Sergio, you've been here before, um, you know, many times, and uh, I'm sure that there there was some challenges there. And obviously, uh, again, that experience that he's gained. Uh, over the years of knowing how to handle certain pressure situa- situations has helped him to be more proactive in, in certain areas. Um, John, I want to get you into this as well, uh, but I want to do this a little bit differently with you, of course, just to, to keep things a bit fresh. Um, and no, and, 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 you know, obviously I, I try not to get too, too repetitive with everybody. So I want to put a little bit of a twist to it, but um, you know, Peter sort of alluded to about, you know, the coaching aspect of things. Talk a little bit about, you know, for, for both, but, but for your players particularly, how important it is to be matched up with good coaching. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, that the coach has good technique or things like that. There's other values and other factors that need to be considered. For instance, um, you know, the coach has to um, believe in that particular player. It's one thing to, to come out and, and teach them about the swing and, and teach them about certain aspects out in the golf course. But there has to be a, a you know an honest belief in that player. So talk a little bit about how important that that connection between coach and player is, and then also helping uh, players to understand uh, their strengths uh, and, and limitations. Go. Well, <laughs> I'm on the clock. Uh, the the thing that everybody's got to realize in this entire conversation is that from the moment we as humanoids stood on two legs. We became reactionary. When we're cold, we seek warmth. When we're warm, we seek cool. When we're hungry, we seek food. When we're in fear, we seek shelter. These are all reactions, and they're hardwired in us from the moment we're birthed until the moment we pass. So to have a golfer try to be non-reactive is just sort of out of the question. Uh, what Paul and Peter basically alluded to with Sergio was, you know what, here's a maturation process of a young man that at 17, 18, 19 years old had the world trust upon him. And, yes, very emotional and therefore reactive. Uh, you now see him 18, 19 years later, and he's come full circle. He's actually gone from reactive to proactive, and proactive is not him. So when you look at him now, and he basically said it in his uh, Butler Cabin interview, I'm, I'm just so aware of myself. I'm so at peace with myself and who I am and what I'm about. He's gone from one extreme to the other. And when seeking a coach or uh, the best coaching player relationships I've ever been around, uh, a good one that's apropos for today is Bud Colley and Craig Shanklin. Craig's been teaching Bud since he was – seven, eight years old, they all tend to balance each other out. Uh, that coach, that player relationship, you've got to go through that maturation process of being reactive and understanding, as Paul had said, what's important to this person, you find that out. 
when you spend a lot of time with them. You find out what buttons you can and can't press. But by the same token, the player realizes, hey, this coach is really behind me, really understands me, wants the best for me. What am I doing to support that habit of myself? Uh, at some point, you reach that process with your student. And it takes a little while. Some people it takes not so long, and others it takes their entire career. But the objective is, is to seek the balance. You certainly don't want a robot out there who doesn't have a feeling about what they're doing. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing. You've got to care about what you're doing, and that's what you see in a Sergio or a Phil or any of these people that wear their emotions on their shoulders at times. But then again, the ones that are overreactive, those are the ones that haven't found that neutral balance that uh, a good coach or a good sports psych would, would help facilitate confidence. Confidence is all relative to that balance. And at some point, confidence has got to allow trust to happen. I was with a student earlier this week, and we talked about the difference between confidence and trust. And confidence, a mindset, trust is more of a self-emotion, a self-feeling that no matter how confident you are, you're not going to get too cocky, too overwhelmed, but you can trust yourself that this is going to happen. You've put in the time, you've put in the balancing act, whether it's mechanical, whether it's trusting on the golf course, playing on the golf course, and really getting to know yourself. At some point, most golfers cross that bridge from confidence to trust, and that's when things start sparking. That's when things really start igniting, and you see a player go on a roll, not just for a tournament or two, but for an entire career. Right. Well said. Uh, great answers, guys. And, and uh, you know, a little little similarities, but uh, some differences as well. I like that. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the individual players, there's a lot of factors involved. And I think one thing, and Peter, I'm going to go to you and then, and then um, John and then Paul, um, but I'm going to ask each of you a different question here. Um, Peter, having a, a clear and defined goal plan, uh, I think is, is equally important. Um, what do you do and how do you help your, your players that you work with or students that you work with, um, help them sort of, obviously you want them to, to ascertain first off and foremost, what their goals and, and, and ideas are, but how do you put together a plan for them, um, for them to follow, to give them a sense of security, which ultimately will help in their confidence as well. Um, is there anything that you do specifically to, to help uh, some of your students accomplish that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, uh, it all, any of my coaching players, it starts with, uh, you know, um, a goal setting worksheet that they fill out first and foremost. And it's, you know, it's very revealing as to, you know, a little bit of where their mindset is and, um, then we go on the golf course next. Uh, we spend, you know, either nine or 18 holes or their schedule has time for, um, you know, the, I'm taking a look at their game, talking to them, getting to know them better. Um, you know, and then after that, we're making a, a fairly detailed plan um, as to, you know, how often we're going to get together, what's going to be the details of our engagement. And then, you know, I'm I'm there writing a plan for them that's a little more behind the scenes, but at the same time, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about what we're going to be talking about and where I see, you know, areas of concern in their game. And, you know, when we're working either on the golf course or on the range, we're going to talk 
actively in a in a two way interaction. It's always for me there's times that they're gonna need um a little bit of direction um and for me to give some input, but it's it's always a two way conversation between my my players and I. Um and then it's very much all directing them towards you know, letting them know that they're definitely on the right track in some areas, um, and you know where they where we're going to really focus their practice. Um, again, I'm pretty hands-on with the practice. On uh, every Saturday and Sunday, our supervised practice program. Saturday is somewhere on a practice facility for two hours. They're they're always welcome to come with that or to that, and our Sunday evening um, on-course training. Um, so I'm pretty hands-on with it. Um, I have a, a detailed schedule of, of everything uh, pertaining to our practice and training programs. Uh, so they know what to expect. And uh, sometimes they get, or I, just, I should say a lot of times it gets modified and um, because it's definitely an evolution uh, going towards that area of context and, and ultimately their, their confidence that they can derive from of you know, knowing why things happen and uh, when things are constructively can happen. And um, it's fun to see, and it's a lot of fun for me to, to get to know the my players. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think that's, that's a, a great way to approach it. I think that you have to have, you know, I think all players have to have, uh, you know, a goal in mind uh, of what they want to achieve and obviously some long-term goals and some short-term goals and having a definitive plan uh, and helping them put that together um, and, and, and doing it in, in a program such as that is, you know, as opposed to just doing sort of your traditional golf lessons that, that, um, you know, they might've done 20 years ago. Uh, I think this is where the coaching comes into more. It's a, it's an evolution, as you said, Peter, um, John, I want to I want to talk about um, emotions a little bit, but I also want to have you maybe just expand a little bit about creating a positive and supportive internal dialogue or internal voice. Um, why is that important for a player? And not having that, uh, how can it be detrimental to a player uh, improving or handling themselves out in the golf course? Well, to sort of segue off of what was previously said, when when setting up a, a long-term coaching program with a good player, I too will have them have the player fill. I call it a, a goal pyramid, and I want to see what their goals are and how motivated they are to reach those goals on their own. Uh, one of one thing good players should recognize is coaches are willing to help you create that internal dialogue but it's got to come from within we can't motivate motivation comes from within we can inspire we can coach we can provide guidance we can uh, i like to use the term i'd love to have a horse that runs and all i've got to do is bridle him and show him where to go and that's ultimately right. what we're all looking for is coaches so from the internal talk from the from the emotional standpoint of view of being able to be your own best fan is what I call it. At some point throughout a career, whether it's on a practice range, during a tournament, during an adverse situation that's off the golf course, you got to recognize that emotions are there. 
I was always told as a youngster by my dad, try to keep your emotions in check so they're not too high and not too low, that you run a pretty even keel, recognizing that there's going to be times where you're going to have to go really high. You get married, you have a child, or the times when it's going to go very low, you lose a parent, you lose a loved one type of thing, and everything else is relative to that. A lot of players so overvalue, and I use that term very specifically, every shot or every tournament as if it's life or death, that type of emotion can really eat at you. It can gnaw, it can grind, and eventually wear someone out. I think what you see in the PGA Tour players, the good, long-lasting LPGA Tour players, is that they're able to take their emotions and flatten them to a certain degree. Yes, Sergio should celebrate. Yes, uh, whoever has the claret jug should drink out of it. But the ability to come back down and realize, hey, I still have more to do. There's still not necessarily more to accomplish so much Mm -hmm. as there's still a road ahead of me that maybe I haven't completed. Uh, How do I go about doing that? If If you ride those emotions... That's different from momentum. Momentum is, is internal and, and constantly feeds itself. It's, it's sort of a self-actuating uh, proposition for yourself where emotions, it's like a fire. It's a candle. And when that candle burns out, how are you going to replace it? Have you, have you put a candle in its place prior? That's hard to do. It's yeah. very hard to do because that candle may not smell the same. It may not burn the same wick timing the same it's it, it's very very difficult so when it comes to coaching i take the proactive steps of being the sounding board i want to hear what they have to say and where they want to go and i'm constantly asking about their motivation and their energy level both physical mental and emotional all three and trying to help them understand the balance to that that there's going to be some days that physically you're off but your emotions and mental condition gets you through the day, that ABC that was mentioned before. Uh, mm. But it, to me, the ABC are those three things because they can intertwine and help each other. The, the real key to it all, again, I use this term earlier, is balancing it all out. And what a player should be looking for long-term, that when you have that good self-talk, inside of yourself that's constantly patting you on the back that is evaluating you objectively and providing you solutions going forward that's a good thing if you're going to beat yourself up uh, be self-deprecating to the point where it wears you down and wears the people around you down don't be surprised that as that happens the people around you leave you there's a reason for it and you should be leaving yourself. You should be looking to reinvent yourself from that standpoint. Yeah, I, I agree. Well said. Um, Paul, I think one one area that a lot of, um, especially our, our amateur players and our, you know, our higher handicap players seem to miss the boat. And to me, this is would be a, a, a great way if you want to be successful in this golf, this upcoming golf season, and of course I'm referring to particularly a lot of those in the in the cooler climates uh, that are just sort of getting into their their rounds now, um, but is preparation. You know, we talked about goal setting and and uh, having a plan, um, but even just for a particular round. Let's say you know you're going out this Saturday or Sunday and you want to play golf. I think a lot of amateurs, particularly, do not prepare 
um, at all or properly um, for that round. And I think that also adds to uh, lack of confidence as well in a player or can lead to a lack of confidence. What should a player do um, in your mind? What do you try to encourage your players to, to properly prepare for an upcoming round? And it doesn't have to be any specific tournament, just even with their, with their favorite, uh, you know, in their favorite foursome. Uh, a lot of players just don't. They show up to the course late, maybe hit a couple of balls in the range. In a perfect world, for those listening to the show tonight, what would you instruct them to do if you want to play your best golf this summer? Here's what you need to do before every round. Go. Well, uh, I think for kind of recreational golfers, I mean, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the average player showing up to the golf course, running a little bit late, um, running out to the tee, not really stretching, hitting a handful of golf balls on the, on the range, uh, not putting a whole lot, uh, and then going out and trying to play the round. That would kind of be the typical, you know, warm up or, uh, or mm-hmm. pre-round prep for, for most golfers. And or, it's just your, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, or lack of, <laughs> lack of preparation. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the extent that that's preparation, but yeah. So, I mean, and, and our, the golf swing is a ballistic motion. You know, I'm, I'm TPI certified. I know Peter is, I think John, maybe if you don't prepare your body to swing a golf club, uh, at least somewhat, um, it's going to take you, you know, could take you five, six holes just to feel kind of loose and like your golf swing has a little bit of uh, freedom in it. So uh, obviously you want to, if you really want to play your best, you don't want to stay out too late having too good a time the night before. Um, sure. You want to get some rest. Uh, want to try to avoid conflict with anybody before you leave the house in the morning. Uh, you know, obviously if you have uh if you have a, a tough inter- interaction uh with anybody really before you get to the golf course you're going to be um in a bad way so you want to get to the course feeling kind of peaceful ben hogan said uh that he would deliberately drive i think it was like 5 or 10 miles an hour under the speed limit on the way to the to the course um mm-hmm. all the way in the right hand lane um trying to keep his just stay nice and steady nice and nice and even um, and then when we get to the course, uh, you know, give yourself enough time to, uh, do some form of a warm up. If you can, if you have access to a fitness center at your club, go ride the bike for 20 minutes, uh, or 10 minutes, any amount of time would be better than nothing because it would give your body a chance to warm up, um, to get loose. You can do a little bit of stretching. There are a few dynamic stretching kind of routines that you could do right on the driving range that would prepare your body to, to swing and move. Um, and then, you know, you want to kind of evenly distribute your warm up practice between short game and putting and in the driving range, you have to give yourself a chance to feel uh, how uh, fast the greens are, uh, how they're rolling. You want to hit a few short putts just to kind of confirm that I'm going to make a few today uh, listen to the ball go in the hole. Um, a favorite pre-round drill that I do uh, is putting to the fringe. Uh, just from, you know, maybe uh, eight or ten feet away, just to get a sense of the speed without really focusing on actually making putts. Um, so, 
you know, we're preparing ourselves to go out and do the things that are really important, which is roll the ball the right speed, uh, make short putts, uh, because those are going to be the critical things for making a good score. And then, you know, on the driving range, uh, I don't think you really need to spend a lot of time hitting a lot of golf balls. Uh, you just want to get a feel for the golf club for hitting solid shots. Um, I've heard tour players say that they might only hit like five or six golf balls uh, with each club as they work their way up through their bag. So wedge, eight iron, you know, five iron three wood driver. Um, and I've heard tour players say that they spend, you know, 45 minutes to an hour hitting balls before they go out. Uh, so there, I don't think there's a standard. You have to find where you are in that well, spectrum. Um, but you want to, you want to spend a little bit of time doing everything and, uh, and then go to the tee feeling like you're going to have a good day and you're going to make some good confident swings. Yeah, and, and and I agree with that. I, I think each player obviously is is you know, each individual is unique, and and obviously as you just pointed out, some players um, might be able to uh, you know get away with just hitting a few balls uh, you know each club on, on the range, and then there's others that might want to spend more of their time. Uh, again, it depends, but I think you're exactly right. I think there's a lot of factors involved, and and I understand, and I think we we would all agree with this. We we understand that a lot of people. Um, have a lot of time restrictions. It's not like it used to be many years ago where, um, you know, there was a lot more free time. We have a lot of other outside interests that take our time. So golf is, has become more of a luxury for some people. So it's not always easy to go and spend um, several days a week, you know, uh, warming up or practicing at the, at the driving range to, to get ready for a weekend uh, uh, golf outing with, with your buddies. Um, but there's still an opportunity if you want to play your best golf, I think, is is to make good use of what time you do have. And really, there's no excuse, because if you think about this, and, and again, I'm sure you would all agree with this, um, it doesn't always have to take place at the golf course. There's lots of things that you can do, um, even at home, um, you know, inside the house. There's, you know, practice putting in, indoors. So there's all kinds of different things. Uh, you can even go outdoors in the back, and, and maybe with some plastic balls or something, if you've got the room, um, just work on that, that sort of rhythm and timing of your golf swing. And, and again, uh, you don't necessarily have to use every club, but just take a few, maybe an eight iron or a nine iron, uh, and, uh, and just, you know, practice that sort of flowing motion with the golf swing, just getting used to that. Um, even for five minutes, uh, a couple of times a week, at least it gets you, you know, practicing that, that movement. Um, whereas, you know, we, you, you mentioned earlier, a lot of people just showing up and, and jumping to the first tee, um, and not really being properly prepared. And I think this is why so many people get frustrated is because they don't take the time to, to do any sort of preparation uh, or anything reasonable, and they show up at the golf course and wonder why they you know, can't break 100. So um, great tips, uh, um, Paul, and, and, and guys, some great answers tonight. Uh, unfortunately, we're, um, we're out of time. It's a fast hour. Um, but I'm going to give each of you and uh, – uh, Paul, I'm going to start back with you, Peter, and then John. Um, share with the audience that for those that would like to reach out to you and, and uh, correspond with you, um, maybe have you help with them a little bit with their game or maybe have any questions that uh, they might want to ask you. Uh, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, Paul? Uh, again, I'm the Director of Instruction at Forest Gate Country Club. My website is uh, paulcastergolf.com, and my email is paulcastergolf at gmail.com. 
Um, and feel free to get in touch. We're just getting started here in New Jersey uh, with the season and um, opening a golf academy uh, this year, and we've got a lot of great programs uh, available. So I uh, look forward to helping anybody uh, who would like to come down. Perfect. Um, Peter? Yes, um, I'm out of Taconic Golf Club. We're on the campus of Williams College. Uh, in the Berkshires of Massachusetts in the very western portion of the state. Uh, we're about three hours from Boston, three hours from New York City. Um, my website is gogolfcoach.com. Um, you, we have a live uh, chat feature on that website on the bottom left-hand corner, so if you want to reach me, you can reach out there as well. And I'm also uh, very active on social media. Um, uh, my uh, Instagram handle is um, dailygolfcoach. And my Twitter handle is Daily Golf Pro. Uh, if you'd like to reach out on any of those, that's great. Um, I'm always on there and very active, uh, really, on a two, three times a day. So, perfect. Uh, and last but certainly not least, uh, Mr. John Hughes. How can the folks reach out? Thanks. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Pete and Paul. And again, apologize to the audience. Uh, I do really love my clients, and we just got a little out of hand tonight, and I apologize, but. You can reach me at johnhughesgolf.com. That's pretty much my website, social media outlets, which are multiple. Email, just put john at johnhughesgolf.com. I want to say a really quick thank you shout out to the members of Gaston Country Club in Gastonia, North mm-hmm. Carolina. My great buddy there, Thomas Truncoso, had me up as a guest instructor for a weekend not too long ago. We had a great time up there. I am available here in Orlando at Falcons Fire Golf Club in the Kissimmee area year-round, but I do do some traveling here and there and would love to help anybody out who needs it. Just reach out. I will promise you if you get a hold of me by 5 in the Eastern time, you'll get a response that day. And once again, Ted, thanks a lot for the honor and privilege to be part of a great coach's corner this evening. Perfect. Well, guys, thank you as always. And as I said in the beginning and have said many times, um, you know, I, I appreciate you guys giving of your time. I know it's not always easy, and, and uh, no worries, John. I, I'm glad uh, um, that you were helping uh, some students, and uh, I think it's uh, it's an honor and privilege to have you guys uh, joining me here on, on Thursday nights uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. You guys have some great uh, uh, great insight to the game, and, and I appreciate you guys sharing it with my audience. So. Um, until the next time, gentlemen, uh, have a great weekend. Happy Easter to all of you and your respective families. And uh, spend uh, a little little time uh, with the family this weekend. It's a, it's a special uh, weekend, and uh, I look forward to having you guys joining me here again on Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. Thanks, and, and have a great one. Thanks, Thanks so much, Ted. Ted. Happy Easter right. to you as well. All right, thank you. All right, that was my very... Uh, special guests on the Coach's Corner panel, John Hughes, PJ Master Professional and Vice President of the North Florida PJ Section, uh, and also a top uh, 30 instructor on, uh, from Golf Tips Magazine, uh, Peter Egazarian, the uh, uh, PJ member and teach professional at the Taconic uh, Golf Club in uh, Williamstown, Massachusetts, and of course, Paul Castor, a uh, great golf coach and Director of Instruction at the Forest Gate uh, Country Club up in New Jersey. So uh, three great guys on, on the panel discussion tonight. And I'm just waiting for my good friend, Mr. Byron Casper, to uh, to join me here uh, for a great conversation this evening. And got lots of things to talk about. But let me just remind everybody while I'm waiting for Byron to uh, to uh, join in. Um, if you're looking for a great 
program to listen to, this is the stop to come to. Go to blogtalkradio.com, type in Golf Talk Live up in the search key, and that will take you to uh, the uh, broadcast page. And every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, uh, we are live here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, I look forward to you joining us each and every Thursday. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, for those of you uh, who aren't able to join live, if you go to that page, uh, page blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and scroll down to where it says on demand in that section, there is all of the previously aired, including tonight's uh, broadcast uh, as they are all auto recorded. You can scroll down to the on demand section and listen to them when it's convenient for you. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you can get us here, Golf Talk Live, so no excuses. And share that uh, link with, with the folks. Again, one more time, it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live. Share that with your friends, uh, your golfing buddies. Uh, always some great tips Thursday nights. We started off, of course, every week, uh, unless otherwise mentioned, uh, with a great Coach's Corner panel discussion and then an insightful interview with uh, great guys uh, like my guest tonight, Byron Casper, a very good friend of mine. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Byron. He, of course, is, uh, if you haven't figured it out by now or if you haven't tuned in before, uh, he is uh, the son of legendary uh, golfer uh, Billy Casper, uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us any longer, uh, but shared some great memories over the years. And uh, I had the fortunate honor of interviewing him back in late 2013 when I, uh, one of the first years I started the program here, uh, Billy gave, uh, as he does with so many uh, people out there, uh, was very giving of his time and uh, came on the show. So actually, if you scroll down, I believe it was in uh, early November. I think it was November 7th. Don't quote me on that. But if you go in the on-demand section at blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golf talk live and scroll down to um, one of the earlier broadcasts, I believe November of 2013, uh, you can listen to uh, Mr. Billy Casper in his interview with me. Um, but here's my buddy Byron Casper, his son. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about his background. Uh, a great uh, golf professional, been in, in the industry for many, many years. And he really attributes um, a, a couple of things. Uh, not only has he a great networker, but uh, has an international career, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But he also attributes uh, the fact that, of course, his father, uh, Billy, playing at such a high uh, level and, and involvement in the golfing world, um, really has been a huge factor in him being able to offer uh, his experience now as, as uh, a golf professional as well. So um, lots of great things. And he had a, a great track record of being a very effective team manager and corporate director uh, over the years. And in 2008, of course, he was living uh, over in Europe for a number of years. But in 2008, he moved back to the United States after 14 years of living in Europe, uh, where he was based in St. Andrews, Scotland, and worked uh, also in Oslo, uh, Norway, and uh, in Munich, Germany as well, and traveled throughout uh, extensively uh, in the um, EU. And uh, just a, a great guy. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of golf. We're going to talk a little bit about Billy uh, and also about the upcoming tournament, uh, which helps support uh, Billy's kids, which was uh, Billy's uh, uh, near and dear foundation. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, uh, let me welcome my very special guest, Mr. Byron Casper. Good evening, Byron. Is, welcome. Uh, good evening. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just perfect. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. I just wanted to make sure that my uh, my connection was good or else I was going to hook into Wi-Fi. 
Uh, even us old guys know technology a little bit, right? Right. <laughs> no, we're good. Um, Byron, I, I wanted to, you know, first and foremost, I, I want to say thank you as always. Byron and I, what's been kind of interesting, and we talked a little bit, we were on the forum for probably almost two hours last night. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that long tonight, but um, <laughs> but we, we, we have some interesting conversations, and, they, and they're never short. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I've enjoyed, and, and, and I, I consider and, and, and uh, an honor to, to call you my friend now, but um, back a few years ago, as I, as I mentioned to, to the folks here, uh, I had the, the honor and, and privilege of, of interviewing your father, um, Billy, and just what a, a, an incredibly humble, I mean, ranked number seven of all-time golfers in the world, uh, played with the best of the best, uh, and was one himself, um, won multiple majors, uh, 51 tournaments, I think, altogether, and uh, played against uh, you know, other great golfers, Nicholas Palmer, uh, Trevino, player, and uh, just a phenomenal guy, but a very, very humble man. And that's really what I took away, very giving of his time, but a very humble individual. And we've talked about that. And as a result of, of that interview and, and our conversations and, and you being a guest here on the show, uh, I, can, I can say that now uh, I think officially we, we've become very good friends and, and uh, have a mutual respect for one another. So, uh, Byron, it's it's my honor and privilege as always to have you on the show as well. Well, you know what? Thank you so much, Ted. I um, a couple things real quick. One is, um, Dad's victories were 51 on the PGA Tour. Um, right. But um, over overall, um, if you add the 51 plus the 11 that he had on the Senior Tour plus a couple of unsanctioned right. events, and then his international events, I think he's got uh, uh, over 70 events uh, under his his belt, which you know, as as a player and a teacher, both um, as as I know you are, just just think about that for a second. Think about hoist, yep. just think about hoisting a uh, a trophy seventy times in your professional career, yep. and and that's yep. really where it it, it, it comes it come, it comes home to me and it humbles me incredibly um, that he was able to do so much um, purely purely for a love of the game and a way to make a living, of course. And, um, and you know, what a wonderful life golf uh, has given him and has given us as a family. And for that, we, you know, I'm sure I can speak on all of my, my siblings and mom's behalf that we're all very, very grateful for that. Yeah. And just on a quick side note, um, your mom was going to join us tonight, but obviously she uh, had something come up here um, in, in actually honor of your father um, his memory yeah, and just the, the asked, great yeah, things that he's, yeah, he's done. She was at, yeah, she was asked to go to Morocco, and um, so she's over in Morocco this week at the uh, King Hassan Trophy 2 uh, tournament, which has been in existence for uh, quite a while. Um, it's a PGA European event, and, um, you know, Dad and Mom over the years since the mid-60s have been very good close friends with uh, – the royal family, and um, and I think it's uh, it's lovely for my uh, my sweet mom to go over and uh, and participate in in those things. They have a lot of good memories over there. Yeah, and that just again further attests to you know what a what a great um, not only a great man your father was, but obviously uh, had great support with with your mother and and of course his wife. Uh, over the years, and you know what was interesting, real quick, Byron, and then, and then I want to get on and give you an opportunity to talk about uh, his tournament a little bit because it's coming up here in, in not too uh, too many weeks. Um, talk about that and a, a little bit about the foundation, and then, and then we'll just have some some good conversation. Um, but um, 
you know, I watched the the um, the we talked about this last night. The the recent um, uh, programming that they had on Jack, uh, referring to Jack Nicholas mm-hmm. here, it was uh, repeated again last night, but it followed the Masters. And you know, he talked about that uh, about his wife Barbara Nicholas, of course. Um, how you know, really, if it wasn't for her, he probably wouldn't have done as well because she was such a great support, not only. Of, of the fact that he was a, a golf professional, but she took care of a lot of the at-home uh, issues that would, would come up and allowed him to have that sort of free, and I, I imagine your mother was, was much the same. Um, and and back much, in those days, so. you know, they weren't playing for multi-million dollar purses, right? But that, yeah, and, and, and so, you know, yeah, I, mean, it, it I, I want to just take time, this yeah, moment to really you know? give kudos to all of the women um, who, right, Right, exactly. And I just think that uh, a lot of the women uh, at, at, during that time period particularly um, were very, very supportive. And uh, I think your, your father mentioned that uh, very gratefully on the program when he was here a few years ago and talked about how uh, supportive uh, you know, his wife was and, and, and your mother. So, um, but let's, let's talk about his, his tournament uh, coming up. When is it and, and where is it? And, um, and then talk a little bit about what... Uh, what inspired that tournament and, and what uh, some of the benefits uh, coming out of it are. Yeah, of course. Um, well, first, if you don't mind, let me touch on um, sure. your last comment because I, um, you know, I feel very strongly that a lot of these, these guys, if not all of them to a certain extent that played golf in the early years, especially um, if they had families, they had to have um, a, a home that, was taken care of for them. So they could really go out and play golf without having to worry too much about what was happening at home with the kids and et cetera. So I think it took an incredibly strong um, wife um, or, and, and mother um, to do that. Um, and also someone that was willing to really look outside themselves. You know, people like my mother, um, they, they took a back seat because they knew that dad had a special skill that he was going to going to be able to do something wonderful with. And I think that takes a lot of kudos. Um, and you know, I, as I get older and as I've raised children myself and as I have my, my first granddaughter now, um, I have to say that my respect just goes up and up for, um, the golfers that made this game great, um, a long time ago, 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, and also the behind the scenes people that don't really necessarily get a lot of mention, like the, the wives and mothers, um, because they did one heck of a job allowing these great golfers like my dad to be able to go out and do what they do best. So thank you for yeah, mentioning I, that. And, and, and I think that is very important to, to realize. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's something that a, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the listeners don't perhaps realize just how important you know they they see the players you know whether it be your father or jack or or arnie and and some of the other ones that uh over the years that um you know we were all in awe of, of their abilities um you know i think sometimes we forget that there was another person um you know encouraging them being supportive um and and taking care of the day-to-day business if you will in in their lives um, so that they could yeah. um, not have to worry about it on the golf course. I mean, could you imagine playing in, the, you know, in this last week's Masters, um, you know, if you had to worry about all kinds of things going on at home? So I gave them a great peace and comfort, I believe, uh, in, in being able to, to know that they could go and focus on 
um, the tasks at hand and, and, you know, doing their best to win that tournament and not have to worry about the day-to-day, uh, you know, dealings in their house. So, uh, again, kudos to of all of the, the wives and the, and the spouses that out there that, uh, uh, that help their, um, their players. And, and of course, works both ways. There's lots of now, as the LPGA is, is blossoming and thriving over the years, uh, it works both ways. There's uh, husbands that maybe don't play professional golf and their wives are out on tour. So, um, you know, it, it cuts both ways. But um, something else absolutely, I wanted to mention... Ab- absolutely, that, uh, 100%. Right. Something else I want to mention real quick, uh, and you can you can talk a little bit about that as well uh, as we continue on. But I want to get to the to the um, uh, tournament and then and then about uh, your dad's foundation. But uh, uh, you're newly uh, a Ping staff member. You've you've taken on uh, that venture here uh, recently, and uh, you've been been uh, bragging about those new sticks you've got. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> maybe you like might like to share a little bit with us here um, about that real quick. Well, you know what? I'll tell you this, um, and it's really amazing because it, sh- it really shows really two different things. It shows technology, but it also shows what a great uh, club fitter can, uh, can do um, to a better player uh, when it comes to trying to get more yards, um, especially controlling the spin on, on a driver. And, um, and so I've got to say thanks to my friend Rich Mundy, who's the, the ping rep here in San Diego, uh, who I recently did this deal with. And, um, you know, he, uh, he was able to use his, uh, his magic to get me, believe it or not, 25 more yards with my driver. And at a, as a 49 year old who wants to play on the champions tour over the next couple of years, um, 25 yards is nothing to, to sneeze at, you know? So, no, um, no. It, it really comes down to, to spin. And, um, and I've always struggled. Like I think a lot of good players can at times with the spin rate that I get off of my driver. And, um, and it's so important when you're trying to squeak a, uh, you know, an extra five, 10 yards, um, when you really need it. And, um, and so to be able to do that, um, as well as being able to, to get the spin that I need with my wedges is paramount to my game. And I feel like I made the right choice. So thank you for bringing that up. By the way, I I didn't know yeah. you were going to do that. <laughs> well, well, hey, you know what? I'm I, I'm going to give props where they're due. I mean, I know you've been very excited about this new relationship uh, as a staff player uh, for Ping, and and uh, very excited about this new relationship. And and um, you know, I I thought since you were uh, uh, the last couple times that we've had uh, some private conversations, you've been talking up a storm about these wonderful clubs. So I thought I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about them tonight. Um, but uh, and, and we're going to talk about. I'm going to give you some time to talk about uh, uh, the Champions Tour in a little bit. But I, I really want to give an opportunity because that was really what we we were going to talk about. Um, talk about your dad's tournament um, first, and then we'll get in some some uh, yeah. chatter a little bit later. Talk about the tournament. When's it coming well, up? Yeah, of um, and, and and then uh, and the folks that maybe are interested, if there's still some room to, to squeeze in there and play, if they're interested, or uh, what they can do. Well, um, the tournament is on May 1st, and it's always uh, usually the first Monday in May here in San Diego at the beautiful San Diego Country Club, uh, where if anybody knows my father or read any of my father's books or listened to his stories, uh, will remember that the San Diego Country Club is the club that he used to caddy on as a kid, um, as a teenager when uh, he was growing up. And so it, it holds a lot of memories for us uh, as a family and uh, especially dad. Um, and so it was the natural uh, uh, location for uh, the Billy's Kids Golf Tournament. 
And the Billy Casper Youth Foundation was the brainchild of my mom and dad to help raise funds for a traveling music, uh, a children's or a youth traveling music group um, to go overseas. And uh, from that, 20 plus years ago, it has blossomed into a uh, foundation that helps children's charities, uh, only children's charities, but they help children's charities around the country. And they have another event up in Utah they're affiliated with. It helps the hospital up there. They have the big event here in San Diego, which helps all sorts of groups from the Boys and Girls Club um, to I think they've even uh, uh, done some work um, or raised some money for uh, one of the PGA Tour charities, Christina Smiles. And, um, And it really was all about helping to raise money for children's needs um, around the country. And, um, and what a worthy cause that is, especially if you're my mom yep. and dad who have a million kids. So it's, yeah. um, <laughs> it brings it, it you know, it, it, it brings it home. Um, and anybody that knows my dad knows of the struggles he had as a youth. And I think sure. um, uh, the struggles with just uh, knowing what to do and how to make money and make a living and all of the, the normal things that, that we all go through. And I think that because of that, he really felt strongly uh, with one of the charities they support, uh, Junior Achievement, because um, Junior Achievement does a wonderful job of helping kids steer and gain some direction earlier in their lives when, they, um, when I think they really need it and, and are helped from it. So the Youth Foundation is still in existence, even though dad passed away. My mother is still um, running it with the board of directors and my sister Judy, who uh, runs everything in the office and everything uh, for my mom as well. And um, and it really is a wonderful family event. Um, I believe we have six spots or maybe seven spots left um, in the tournament, okay. so there is time to to get a couple more um, more people in. We're very fortunate to have uh, most of the tournament sold out. And, um, and again, very grateful for the support because, um, it all goes to helping children. And that really is, is what, um, what the youth foundation is all about. You know, let me, just a couple of points, um, on that. Um, and then I'll, I want to ask you one other question, but, you know, one of the things that, as I mentioned earlier, Byron, when, when I talked with your dad uh, a few years ago, um, you know, it was very evident. And let me just preface this first because I don't think people really realize just how important um, the work with this foundation, as you were you were pointing out, was to your father. And, and again, unless you either really knew him or had the opportunity to speak with him, I mean, you could hear it literally in his voice. Um, you know how how much passion there was. It was extremely important, and it just again attests. To, it gives a testament to that era particularly. I think there were a lot of people um, like your father and, and many of the other professionals of that era that found something that was passionate to them, that was important to them, and it was about giving back. It wasn't just about going out there and giving golf lessons or teaching others to play golf. It was about giving back to their communities, uh, you know, to their nation, if you will, um, using the gifts that they were given um, not only to earn a living, but to do something else. And, and it, was very, um, it, it was very apparent when talking to him that particular night on the program just how important the Billy's Kids Foundation was to him. And um, you oh, know, yeah, this was not just somebody, 
yeah, it wasn't just somebody that, that went out and had a successful career and, you know, shuffled a little bit of money over here to say, well, I'm going to help these people over here make myself look good. It was not about that at all. I can assure you of that. It was about doing something to help individuals, particularly, uh, you know, the children. And obviously, ultimately, it's, it's going to benefit the adults uh, of those children as well. But, um, but making sure that they had opportunities and, 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 and things in their lives, as you mentioned, the Boys and Girls Clubs, and, and Junior Achievement and other uh, organizations that, that funneled off of that, it was very apparent in, uh, in, in that conversation that that was paramount in, in, in having that foundation and, and doing the hard work that he did to, to make it successful. And uh, yeah, that, that's very, an very much so. your father. You know, well, and, you know, it's, and, um, it's uh, interesting. He, dad, dad was the sort of person, and, and I think you know this, and a lot of people around the world know this, his compatriots and and colleagues out on the tour certainly knew this, but you know, Dad really was on his own time frame, and um, and was such a people person, and um, mm-hmm. especially later in his career. Um, and he was, you know, if he was asked to come and and speak for an hour, you could be guaranteed that he'd come a little bit early, and that he'd stay yep. late, um, because he really cared about people. I saw that when we did a couple golf days ourselves um, together. And I don't think I'd really noticed it before. I knew that he loved people and he was great with people, but it wasn't until I, I came into my own as a golf professional and um, a professional golfer now and, and really realized how much stress and how getting caught up in the game of golf can, it really can be over encompassing. And yet here's this guy who was out winning tournaments and playing in tournaments that always, always seemed to have enough time for his fellow man. And, um, as his son and as just a human being, I, um, you know, I really want to, to try to be more like that. Um, Mm. because I think that that's what, what people deserve. And, um, and so he was a wonderful role model for all of us in those respects, um, as well as on the golf course and, you know, it raising money for, for kids. A a lot of people do various charities and there's so much good work out there that's being done. Um, all I can speak for is from my father's standpoint, and you have to realize, you know, he's not flying around. He, he never had a jet. He, you know, he wasn't wasn't living this incredibly lavish lifestyle, and yet he absolutely wanted to still put everything that he'd done in, in his career and help kids some way. And so, ra- raising money money through the youth foundation and through the golf tournament was a great way for him to use his talents and his professional career. Um, to draw attention and again raise funds for uh, children's charities and it's something that I I sincerely hope to be involved with um, for decades into the future Um, and and I think that we've got uh, we've got the tools and we certainly have the family members to uh, keep it going (laughs) yeah I would I would concur with that uh, but no, it, it, you raise a great point, and, and you're exactly right. You know, it, it was something, um, and I've said this many times before. He he was a very humble uh, man, just from the limited time that I had uh, exposed to him. And uh, you know, I, I talked to him actually for a little over an hour. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks before he came on. And he, you know, it was what was kind of funny. And I've said this before on the air, and I've said this to you personally, Byron. But what was really kind of interesting is. Um, when I, when the opportunity presented itself, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I might get, you know, a little bit of time. And, and I was very, um, you know, honored to have whatever time he was willing to give. And with, with the exception of maybe a few minutes, 
um, your your father basically gave me virtually the whole two hours of the program. <laughs> yeah, that's and, not surprising. <laughs> and you know what was really nice about that was it, it, he just I, I could tell he enjoyed himself. And of course, we had a number of people from around the country that uh, you know once I made it available that uh, that it was uh, out there actually called in that evening. I think we had close to a dozen callers from from all around the United States. We actually had a young a uh, guy that was driving his son home from a football, uh, I think it was a football practice or something uh, along one of the interstates, and he had, uh, you know, got wind of the program and was a big fan of your father's, and he called in and, uh, of course, uh, broadcast it, uh, you know, throughout the car and was very excited to be on and have a chance to talk to your father. And your father made a point of feeling, uh, making each and every one of the people calling in um, feel respected and, and appreciated that, uh, that he valued them as another human being. And, and that's, you know, that, that's just something that you don't see a lot of, unfortunately, in this day and age. Um, and, and something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is better than any golf lesson. I think you could ever get from, from your father is just that from a humanitarian standpoint, he was a great man. And, uh, I'm grateful for that honor well, and privilege. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that that's true, and I would I, I, I'll end with this um, on that, this particular note, and that is that I think that the true measure of success in a, in your career is what your colleagues think about you um, in a positive light. But I think that success in a life is really uh, not only how the world perceives you, but how you are with the world. And um, you know, Dad was uh, a wonderful man, and he gave a lot. Um, of his time, but at the same time, he never forgot um, where he came from. He always wanted to give back, and he was one one heck of a dad, and as well as a golfer. And um, and so, thank you for uh, for your kind words uh, regarding him. I um, I'm sure he's listening up up there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, I uh, I'm excited. And let me give the um, the website um, to everybody, uh, billyskids.com sure. is where they is where they can get information on um, uh, the Billy Casper Youth Foundation Golf Tournament. Again, it's billyskids.com, and there's contact numbers, registration forms, and uh, or they can email uh, the office staff directly and get all the information that they'd like on the event. Perfect. And as you said, there's uh, approximately six or seven. Uh, at least at this moment, uh, entries uh, available. So uh, for those of you listening, if you're going to be out in the San Diego, uh, San Diego area in around that time, May 1st, uh, um, as uh, Byron alluded to, um, reach out to uh, the, the staff there and, and uh, give you an opportunity not only to, to be part of a great event, uh, but also to, uh, to help uh, further the cause that, that Billy started so many years ago um, with the charity and, and foundation, uh, Billy's kids. So, um, we'll give that website again one more time before we, we close off tonight. Um, let's talk about you for a second. Um, you know, I, I, I want to give you this opportunity cause you and I've talked a little bit about this. Um, you've obviously played, um, you know, on a professional level before, but, uh, you've also, uh, taught for a number of years and continue to teach and, and, uh, and coach and so forth. But, uh, you've had some aspirations that you've shared with me and, uh, as you said, you're getting ready here to to turn five uh, zero, uh, not too distant future, and uh, will be eligible uh, from that standpoint to play on the PGA's Champions Tour. And uh, I think you're heading to uh, the Q School this fall, if, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us a little bit about that. What prompted you to decide to 
to rekindle that passion and and uh and uh what what's your game plan well it's um it's actually a great story and um because I've lived it I can abridge it so it uh, I won't have to, <laughs> to take up a a, a a ton of time um but you know when I played um over and was living over in Scotland I was just getting my head around in my late 20s um really understanding about my game and I, I hadn't had much teaching experience at that point um but I'd had all the lessons that dad had given me and all of my experience and so forth. And I think that I had a lot of skill and talent according to my father, but in reality, um, I didn't have any substance. Um, and then as uh, life and coincidence would happen, um, I went through a, a separation and became a single parent and it was just impossible for me to juggle, um, raising children as well as trying to, be a professional golfer. And so it was something I had to give up and um, very quickly and went into teaching um, almost by accident. Um, the way the story goes, and it's, uh, it's interesting because these gentlemen are friends of mine to this day, and I'm still involved in their company. But I went in to <laughs> a, a group in St. Andrews, Scotland, to look for sponsorship for a golf tournament that I was interested in. And um, after six hours, um, I realized I wasn't going to get the sponsorship, but was offered the head golf professional job um, <laughs> for their for their group. And um, and so I thought about it for uh, about 24 hours and realized that, you know, that was going to keep me at home every night so I could have dinner with the kids and pick them up from school when needed and all of those things that you do as a parent. And mm -hmm. um, and it was it was, uh, you know, so I jumped in with with both feet and then. As I started that process, and this was with a group called the Heritage Golf of St. Andrews, um, I realized that I really loved teaching. And that's what prompted me to write a book on, on golf teaching, which was my second book, but it was my first book on golf uh, and the teaching aspect of it and tips and tricks that you could use to lower your score. And over the course of the next decade, um, uh, actually 15 years now, um, I have, uh, again, just really, really enjoyed teaching. I, I've been fortunate enough to teach in St. Andrews, Scotland. I've taught in Oslo, Oslo Norway, um, in Munich, Germany, um, down in England. Um, I've taught in Florida and um, Utah and in California now. And, um, and it's something I have a tremendous amount of passion for, both the technical side through my, my years with Golf Tech, um, as mm -hmm. well as the field <clears throat> side. Um, because, you know, I was born and raised to be a field player. Um, dad is the epitome of that, but I was right. fortunate enough to, to be indoctrinated to the technical side. And so, um, I was able to use both of those, um, to help my students get better. And funny enough, um, as often happens, as you start teaching a lot and helping your students, you start really understanding your own swing and what you're capable of doing and how to fix yourself. And, um, and so I realized about five, six, seven years ago that I had a real chance to, um, to try to have a second career, if you will, um, playing professional golf. And it's something that I talked a lot with my dad and, um, and he was very supportive. Um, once he, he had me out on the golf course and could see that I could play the game, he was very supportive. <laughs> um, and, um, 
he, my dad was, if, if anything, he was very straight. And if he didn't think that you had it, he was going, he was going to tell you um, every bit as much as if he did think you had it. And I was very blessed with, uh, with that and uh, with his lessons, both in life as well as on the course. And so, um, you know, I did what, what I've needed to. I've, I've taught uh, well over 7,000 lessons uh, because I've enjoyed it. Uh, I'm a co-owner of the Billy Casper Golf Academy uh, in St. George, Utah, um, with some great gentlemen. Um, and I'm really looking forward to putting down the management side of, of my career in the near future and doing nothing but just focus on um, getting ready um, to play uh, play some golf this fall. So um, as far as the Q School, um, you know, as they say, absolutely, but have to get past stage one first. So, uh, yeah. so uh, <laughs> you know, uh, watch this space uh, with regards to it. Um, but it's a great time. And at the ripe old age of 49, um, I, I'm almost, it's almost unbelievable to me that I'm this old, but um, uh, I am. And, uh, and so it's, it really is time to start pulling the trigger and dedicate some hard work to getting, getting ready to make these dreams come true. Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to be probably your second biggest fan, uh, or maybe third, cause I know your, your mother will be a big fan and I know your children, of course. So you can rank me in third. Um, behind them, but um, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be very supportive and rooting for you as well. And and I know I have no doubt that uh, that you will um, come out on top. But yeah, you, you certainly come from from good uh, good stock. And you know, I, and you've mentioned this to, to me before. You know, some of the the great lessons that your father taught you, uh, not only about life, but uh, you know, out on the golf course as well. That uh, um, you know, maybe at first first. Uh, glance maybe didn't make a lot of sense to you at that particular moment but as you developed and grew as an individual um can look back and say okay now i get it dad and i understand why you did that or why you did that um and and it makes sense to me so you can draw from a, a not only your own experience but from your father's experience as well when you when you go out there and tee it up with uh with some of the the former champions uh in golf so uh, i have no doubt well, and, that and, ca- uh, and ca- do catting well. as well well, you know, and, right. and, and you know, something as as, as simple, um, really, if, if when you think about it, um, of catting is, um, is, you know, at times can be anything but simple. Um, any any professional caddy will tell you that, you know, when it's wet outside, your job just gets doubled as far as how difficult it is keeping your player and the clubs <laughs> and the grips and everything else dry. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I had the experience of doing that for almost four years of my life um, for dad and for a few other players. And I think that that catting is a wonderful way to not just be inside the ropes, but also to really understand the game um, or what I like to call the playability of the game, because you have nothing but time to notice everything and um, right. and really understand um, how important it is to know that the pin is, you know, seven seven from the left and 10 from the front, you know, I mean, little things like that are, are paramount when you're trying to play your best. And, um, and so I think you're right. And I, I'm grateful for the experiences I've had. Um, and I have to include caddying um, uh, long before mm-hmm. I turned professional. That was really the beginning of my understanding of this great game we call golf. Yeah. And, and, it, you know, that raises a, a, a great point too, um, Byron is the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people don't really appreciate um, with when you see a lot of these great peri- uh, players like Sergio and Phil and you know Tiger and, and your father and Jack and Arnie before him, uh, before them. 
um, they don't realize the important role that a caddy plays. Uh, you know, it's not just carrying the bag around 18 holes. There's a lot of dialogue that goes on in most cases. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not just wiping down grips. There's, it, it's hard work and it's not easy. And you've got to know when to speak and when to keep your mouth shut when you're walking around, especially um, when you're playing in a tournament. You know, practice rounds, you can get away with a little bit more. But when you're in the heat of a tournament, especially if your player uh, is, is in contention or, or close to contention, um, you know, a, a lot of pressure is on that player. You, ha- you have to know when, when to say what. Uh, you first need to know what to say and when to say it um, and when not to, to say anything at all. Um, because it can make or break, uh, um, you know, it can certainly contribute to making and breaking around for that particular player. And it's even doubly so uh, when you're caddying, caddying for, um, you know, for your father, in, in your case, because uh, you have to go home with him later. So it's not like you're going to a separate house. You know what I mean? You know what? So, Amen. Um, Amen to that. Uh, it could make for a very uh, uh, difficult evening, I'm sure. Um, but uh, Byron, I have no no doubt that that you will um, uh, shine on the Champions Tour, and I'm very excited for you. And and um, you know, 49 uh, is not so old. I'm 53 now, so I got a few years on you. So believe me, you've got a couple oh, hey, of years. Hey, look, I, I, <laughs> 49 isn't old at all. In fact, now that I'm here, I think 49 is very young. So <laughs> that's that's right. So. Give it a couple more years. You, you haven't you haven't begun to feel aches and pains yet. I'm only teasing, but um, you know it, it's great. And 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 you know I'm I'm excited the fact that you're going to be doing that. Uh, let me just ask you something. I, I want to you know I, I want to take a few moments of our time here while we have some left um, to to maybe share some thoughts for the listeners out there that maybe are struggling with their game. It's a new season for many people out there. Um, especially up in, in some of the colder climates that don't have the benefit of where you are in California and where I am here in Florida uh, to have some great golf all year round. Some of them maybe played in or practiced in an indoor facility or, or were able to travel to warmer uh, fronts and, and able to play some golf throughout the winter months. But um, share some tips if you can for, for golfers. Uh, what do you like to see golfers do here at the beginning of the season to get ready for, for some great golf? And what would you recommend especially with time restraints. Now everybody's got, you know, things happening in their lives. They don't, they can't spend as much time uh, in the practice end of it as they once did. What would you do uh, or what would you recommend to to a player if you were working with them? Well, you know, it, it, I think I could split it into two different um, categories. Um, Sure. Because what I would, what I would suggest for a, a higher handicap amateur, um, uh, player, um, is is far different than what I would suggest for a low handicap player or a professional, um, and um, and so starting with the the, the, the higher handicap um, you know player, um, I would say that really the the importance of jumping back into the swing of things out of coming out of a a, a winter season is obviously a little bit of flexibility is going to help you, um, and mm-hmm. so stretching things like that are very important. But just getting some practice swings and pay attention to where that the, the your club is uh, hitting the ground and just you know go to the backyard or grab a wedge and take some some sw- half swings in in the living room. But you know just really be aware of what your hands are doing, where that club is coming into contact with the ground. And I can promise you that if you just do that ten twenty times a night for a week before the snow clears and you head out on the golf course, 
you're going to jumpstart your uh, preparedness um, by a long shot. Um, right. For a, a much better, for you know, for a much better player, um, I would say hands down, coming out of a cold season um, or not having played golf for a few months, uh, work on making sure that your rotation is there. Uh, really force mm-hmm. yourself to over rotate. Um, uh, when you're taking practice swings as far as swinging out towards the target and getting those hips moving through, because that's really what, what I think better players struggle with when they're a little tight and they're not loosened up and they haven't really played much golf is they have a tendency to get a little armsy um, and not really get the entire core and their body moving through the shot. Um, I know right. at times I've suffered with, I've suffered with that. Um, and so for a better player, it's even more important that they get, um, their flexibility down. So they really have, um, that recall of muscle memory from the, from the previous year of what it's like to swing down and through, but really also get those hips and your core moving, um, through the ball as well. Yeah. And, and well said, um, you know, I, I think what it is, and we talked a little bit about this earlier on, on coach's corner, the earlier this evening on the show, and, you know, a, a lot of the, the, especially the high handicap golfers out there, you know, they're, they're getting ready for a new season. They go to the golf course. They, they wonder why they're not playing any better. But when you take a look at their preparedness before a round, uh, it's almost non-existent. Um, they're not doing anything at all. You know, if they're lucky, they might hit a ball or two or make a couple of putts on the practice green. Um, and then they think that that's going to, uh, you know, uh, cure a lot of the issues out there. And they're not really... Um, doing anything the rest of the week. They're not really practicing much. So they, they, they just don't seem to comprehend the fact that they're not going to break 100 for that very reason because they're not doing anything to prepare, stretching otherwise. And, and you know, you just emphasized here uh, just a moment ago at how important that is, um, really for both, but particularly for the high handicap players. Um, you, you've got to do something um, if you expect to get results. And I think this is another reason why a lot of those folks have dropped out over the years is because they've become frustrated, but they're not being realistic to their, or, or, you know, to their true self as to why they're not improving. It's not a matter of not being able to hit a golf ball or, or a distance or anything like that, which is common with a lot of uh, amateurs out there is they think, well, if I can just get that driver and get an extra 25, 30 yards out there, I'll be fine. The truth of the matter is, their practice time has dwindled down so much that they're not working on the fundamentals. You know, Jack Nicholas talked about in Golf My Way, his, uh, his video that he had years ago, he talked about one of the main key things that he does every single year at the beginning of the season, um, when the PGA particularly had a shorter season at that time, is he got out and he worked on the fundamentals. He didn't sit there and make all kinds of swing change. He didn't need to. He worked on his fundamentals. Uh, and he, you know, did that in before he started playing competitively because he wanted to make sure that, you know, the rust had, had come off and the cobwebs have come out um, because he wasn't playing for a little while uh, as much as, you know, competitively. And I think that's what a lot of the amateurs should take note in. You don't have to go out there and play 100 rounds, um, but get out there and, and practice whenever you can, even if it's five minutes at home, as you said, right? Well, yeah, I think, well, I think it's important. And I'm, uh, you know, I love that you mentioned Nicholas because as, as, um, as I've been watching his, you know, the little mini series on him, yeah. um, you know, a couple things really jumped out at me. One of the, the things that I learned from Jack, uh, was, uh, his trick of, uh, you know, focusing three feet in front of the ball, um, and picking yes. out a, 
an intermediary target. Um, interestingly enough, that's something that I've done for the last maybe eight, eight to 10 years. And it, it does make a difference when you're focusing on where you want to strike that ball through um, rather than necessarily focusing on the green all the time. Um, and, um, and I think that, that he, um, he was amazing in so many ways, but you know, he says himself and he says it on his mini series in one of the interviews that he really truly believes that he out practiced his other players. He right. practiced so much that he just was, he was prepared. And, yeah. you know, I, I find that so interesting because my father, before he passed away, um, him and I had this discussion and about being prepared. And, um, and it wasn't, wasn't necessarily about golf. It was just about life in general. And, you know, he made the comment to me that he said, you know, son, always be prepared. You don't know what's around the corner. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, I can liken that to my career um, and the opportunities with work and with, with other things. Um, but I just think that's great advice in general. Um, you know, uh, I think it's actually yeah. the Boy Scout motto too, isn't it? But, um, yeah. but you know, just be prepared um, <laughs> because um, you, you don't know what's coming around the corner. And so I, I love when Jack says that himself, that he, he just out-prepared the other players um, when he was in his heyday. And I think it obviously yeah. showed, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, and, and just with that statement alone, I'm sure that there's a few 20-year-olds and, and teens out there that probably just rolled their eyes hearing that statement, but it's true. Because, you know, at that age, you don't really, uh, you know, especially even in this day and age, you don't realize the importance of, of preparedness. And you're right. You know, you have to practice with a purpose. And I think a lot of people get out there and they're just beating balls and, you know, raking and beating balls or they make a few putts, but they don't really have a purpose or, or an agenda. And, and one of the things that I'm sure your father was the same way um, that Jack did, and he talked about this in, in his videos and in many of his interviews, is, you know, he just didn't go out there and hit balls. He had a purpose, and, and he had uh, a little game plan, if you will, when he had his practice sessions. He wanted, there were specific things that he wanted to do, and, uh, you know, that's what, what kept him motivated. And, you know, he, he played, you know, the course in his mind. You know, he, he had sort of his, his part of his pre-shot routine, if you will, uh, or pre-game routine is a better way to put it, was playing that course, you know, when he, before he even got to the Masters. I mean, he, you know, he was one of the ones that got there the week before and played, and he, and he knew exactly what to expect hole for hole. And with the exception of, mm -hmm. you know, a, a gust of wind or something like that that may come up, to, and, and he knew how to handle and anticipate some of those changes. And that's why he was truly a master at, at the game, uh, above and beyond so many of the other players out there. And that was why, even to this day, regardless of records and, and all this other stuff that they talk about, why he's considered to be one of the greatest golfers that ever played this game is because of his, his, his inner mental strength. Um, because if you look at his, um, you know, his, his uh, ball striking ability, and th there's probably 100 players that could strike the ball better than he could, but they didn't have the internal dialogue, if you will, and the internal um, uh, mental uh, strategy and, and uh, foresight that he was able to put together. And that's why he was able to beat so many of his competitors out there was he basically thought his way around the golf course better than most of the players he ever played against. Well, 100%. Um, I, you know, being prepared is important. Knowing the course, visualization. Um, a lot of the things that we hear nowadays, um, these great players – 
30 years ago were, 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 you know, using in their, in their careers. Um, it's just, nobody was talking about it, um, uh, in the same level. We didn't have the same, um, information, uh, level of information that was freely available as we do now. But a lot of these guys were using variations, um, of focus techniques and other things. Um, you know, again, 30, 40 years ago, um, and, you know, I, I've, I've heard it said by um, a few of, of Jack's colleagues that uh, when he was ready to hit a shot there and got over the ball, there was almost a bubble of focused energy around him. And, um, and I think that that's, I've never heard it explained to me like that until recently. And I, I think that that's probably very accurate with anybody that rises up to that level in sport. I think that, that being able to focus to that level is, um, is a necessity um, when you're playing at that level um, of any sport, but especially in golf where it really is just you and that club in your hand. Um, yeah. And so, you know, Jack's a, a wonderful, wonderful man, has done so much for the sport, um, was, was, a, was a good friend of my father's um, and, uh, and my mother's uh, both. And, um, you know, I have nothing but, but respect for that family. Um, uh, kind of what I consider the first family in golf, um, because of, of what he really has done, um, both on and off the golf course. Yeah. His major very much like is your... just amazing, amazing in itself. So, right. And it's very much like your father in the sense that, you know, he, he gave back, he had a lot of, um, um, you know, outside interests as far as, um, you know, um, helping you know those that that were in need you know through various charities and things like that also again uh, and much like uh, your father and and Arnold and many of, of that generation uh, believed in giving back to something that gave a lot to them so uh, you know it, it's very I gotta say one little quick thing and then and then I want to give you an opportunity to uh, to wrap up talking about uh, about the tournament and things again but um, what one of the things Great, that was interesting you. about the, the the mini series that uh, that Jack talked about, and I want for those of you listening out there, I want you to put this in perspective. Um, when much of this video and that 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 we saw, if you if you watch the mini series, and if you didn't, then you know go online, and, and I'm sure there's there's a, a link that you can get to to see it. But one of the things that really caught my attention, and I'm sure you uh, will know what I'm talking about, Byron, but. Um, they used to have, and I, I don't know, it, I don't think it was at the Masters. I'm not sure if it was at the PGA Championship, but they used to have a long drive um, component to it. They don't have it anymore. And they were talking about Jack. Now, put things in perspective. At that time and that day and age, they were using persimmon woods. They were not using these high-tech metal woods that they're using today in, in composite uh, um, hey, shafts Ted, and things Ted. like that. Yes, Tell the kids out there what persimmon. Tell tell the uh, the youth out there what persimmon means, just in case any of them are are listening. <laughs> it's made of wood, <laughs> in other words. Yes, exactly, exactly. Wood, wood. I want you to because I, I know the story you're going to tell. I just want you to put it into perspective that it's a wood driver yeah. that he's doing this with. But and it's basically carved, uh, you know, out of wood. Uh, and obviously they did have some inserts, but it's not like today's with with all the the titanium and this that and the other so um it, it was a wooden club and um jack nicholas hit um a drive in this competition when they when they were still having and again i don't recall the tournament that they they had it at that time 341 yards and <laughs> 
they actually had the last year, I think they had it, they talked about a, another player who um, had hit a little more recent, and his drive was only 341. He won, of course, the, the competition J- uh, Jack did in his day, and this other gentleman, I think the last year they had it, and he hit it six yards shorter um, than Jack did. So, and this was going back, I think it was in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. So this was quite a ways back. This is not just, you know, last year, a couple of years ago. This was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, so, you know, when you hear these players on the PGA Tour with all of the technology and equipment, uh, you know, hitting it, you know, 320, 325, and, and so on and so forth, um, think about here's a guy, Jack Nicholas, 30, 40 years ago that hit it further or at least as far in many cases, as what the guys are doing today on the PGA Tour. That's a pretty big uh, feat in itself. And there was actually one case they gave at a tournament. I forget now where this was. Uh, obviously got some roll with it. He hit it 350 yards um, with that same driver uh, they talked about. So uh, just to put it in perspective, guys. That's, that's, that's amazing. Just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that's just incredible. That's mind-boggling. And, uh, you know, I, I so think, I think what that says, well, I think, I think what that says, I mean, in a very real sense, um, I, I personally believe and agree with the golf digest, um, gentleman that was on the series. I can't remember his name, but he said the same thing, but I, I agree. I think that knowing those stats, um, I think that given technology and equipment nowadays, um, Jack still would be the longest, um, yes. in golf by, by a long shot. And, um, and I yeah. think that that stat back in the sixties of him hitting a 341 yard drive, um, the day before, you know, he, he heads off into the tournament, um, with, yeah. uh, with that ball and a wooden head is, um, is shockingly amazing. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> yeah. And then just to add, just to, to, um, correct what I, what I had said, um, in addition to that, you're right. The, the golf ball, uh, the technology in golf balls wasn't anywhere near what it is today. So you had that, and, and most of the golf balls in those days were, were a balata, uh, which was a wound uh, golf ball with a basically a woundly tight, uh, you know, rubber band basically is what it was, um, and very soft soft cover. So it's not like, uh, again, the, with the technology that we're, we're using today. Um, it's just amazing. I just wanted to throw that in there because it was something that, you know, I, I don't think – you know, when I hear people saying, well, I want to get more distance and I want to get this, um, you know, I want to get this club or I want to get that because I want to hit it 25 yards further. Contact with the ball in the correct fashion at first. Then when you can do that on a consistent basis, then if you want to treat yourself down the road and get that favorite driver or that favorite uh, set of golf clubs, um, then it's worth the investment. But for somebody to go out and spend you know, a thousand or two thousand dollars or whatever the case may be and the latest and greatest equipment and you can't make good contact with the golf ball on a regular consistent basis, you're just wasting your money. That money could be better spent connecting with a great teacher and coach uh like Byron and or myself, uh and many of the other thousands of, of golf professionals out there. Money better uh well better spent than going out and, and spending three, four hundred dollars on a brand new driver that you don't even know how to hit. So that's just my two cents well, and, on and uh, take technology. Yeah, and take advantage of the video. Uh, you know, take advantage right. of video technology, you know, um, because that's something you can relive. And, and if you're smart, nowadays you don't have to ever take the same lesson twice. Exactly. Well said. Um, 
Byron, we only got a few minutes left, so uh, I want to wrap this up, giving one more opportunity to let the folks know about the tournament, uh, when's it being held, and where they can go and get information uh, about that tournament. Yeah, of course. Um, first, the website is billyskids.com. And um, uh, we've got, actually, I just uh, read my notes, and we've actually got 10 spots open uh, for golfers okay, left. Um, we also have a, a wonderful dinner and entertainment in the evening. And people that can't uh, attend the golf tournament can um, come to the dinner and, um, and you know, buy a spot for, uh, for the dinner, which begins at 6 p.m. Um, this year, we've got some really amazing things going on at the event, um, uh, including some of my friends that are going to be uh, coming by and playing um, in the event, including Randy Jones, uh, the uh, mm. uh, baseball player from the Padres. And, mm. um, and we've also got some great auction highlights. Um, that I want to mention, um, including golf for four at Pinehurst, um, as well as uh, the Greenbrier, um, Ryder Cup 2018 tickets in Paris. Um, oh, wow. 14-day crystal cruise, cruises uh, in Australia, uh, weeks in Maui, and golf at Kaanapali, uh, a Scottish trip that I personally put together, um, and a lot of other wonderful things that, um, as you can imagine, um, being heavily involved in the golf world uh, helps us to uh, put some really wonderful, unique uh, golf trips together for, uh, for people. And so again, the website is billyskids.com. They can find out all of the information um, about the tournament and about the organization uh, on that website. And just, we would sincerely love to, uh, to have any of the listeners uh, that happen to be in the area um, come on down. Sounds good. And uh, that uh, tournament date again is May first, which is a Monday. May first. Uh, so keep Monday. Yeah. So keep that in. Yeah. Keep that in your calendar and go to the uh, uh, BillysKids.com uh, 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 website to get more information on that as well. Um, Byron, my friend, it's been an enjoyable uh, hour. Uh, as always, I appreciate it. Um, the, you giving of your time to come on the show, and I know that the listeners uh, enjoy it as well. And and thanks for uh, for doing all the great work. And uh, we're gonna, you and I are gonna be uh, doing some more things throughout the year, of course, uh, as your schedule permits. I, I know that uh, you you're always much like your father, uh, giving of his time. So I look forward to having you come back again. But I know you and I will be chatting many more times, having some more in-depth conversations uh, offline, uh, as we did tonight. Oh, well, so I appreciate 100%. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, you and I, you and I have, a, have a wonderful habit of being able to talk. But I, I want to say one thing and I'll, uh, as I go, um, and that is that um, this last week we had the wonderful opportunity to watch uh, Sergio and, uh, yes. and Justin Rose go, uh, go head-to-head um, on that final day. And, you know, regardless of who, who, who you support um, or love in the golf world, um, I can't think of a, of a recent uh, or better uh, example of really what how wonderful the game of golf is when it comes to camaraderie and um, and the level and the ability to be able to go out and play against one of your best friends and beat him and still give each other hugs and hug the family afterwards. Um, very yeah. impressed with the way Justin Rose handled it and very impressed with Sergio finally pulling his major. Um, just I love this sport and I uh, I hope that everybody listening. Uh, gets out to the driving range very soon and, and works on their game and gets ready for the season coming. Sound. Couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. Uh, my very special guest tonight, Byron Casper, and good friend. 
Uh, thank you as always for, for uh, joining me and uh, we'll talk soon. Have a great evening and happy Easter. Thank you. You as well. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Good night, Byron. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, Byron Casper, son of legendary Billy Casper. If you go to billyskids.com, you can learn more about the tournament coming up in uh, May 1st at the San Diego uh, Country Club and uh, obviously benefiting Billy's Kids uh, Foundation. I also want to give a special thank you and shout out to uh, the guys on the Coach's Corner panel earlier the first half, uh, John Hughes, Peter Agazarian, and Paul Castor. Thanks, guys, again, for doing a great job. And thank you to all of the listeners uh, for faithfully tuning in. We're about ready to go offline here uh, in just a moment, so I want to take a, a, just a quick moment to thank all the listeners for faithfully tuning in to each uh, to Golf Talk Live each and every week, and I, I uh, mean it sincerely that I appreciate all your support and all of the supporters and sponsors, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf, and Nikki and Tiffany Litherland. Um, thanks for all of your uh, support, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of LinkedGolfers.com, and Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thanks, guys, for all of your continued support, and thank you again for tuning in to Golf Talk Live um, very much appreciated. And with that in note, I will be back next week with another great Coach's Corner, uh, special Coach's Corner, actually, and uh, with another great guest. So I hope you'll tune in. So remember to join me next uh, Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. And uh, happy Easter, everybody. God bless. And I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>